Divine Truth Documentary Jesus, Mary and Others provide information to people or organizations that produce documentaries. In this video, Jesus and Mary are interviewed by Thomas Leder while staying with friends in Surrey, near London. This is Session 1, Part 2, filmed on the 16th of July 2013 in Surrey, England. Um, well, it sort of formulates a real person. If you have somebody, mm -hmm. and then that person, however long they live, then does, well, I don't know whether everybody goes to the spirit world, but that's everybody another. does. Okay, yes. everybody goes to the spirit world. Yes, and then they have an existence there. Yes, which isn't very different to the existence generally that they had on Earth, with with a few with a few primary differences based on how you attract your environment in the spirit world. Here on Earth, you can manufacture an environment that is very, very different to your condition, whereas in the spirit world, you can't do that. You, you, whatever your environment is will match your condition. So you can't be an per evil person. Like I said in the seminar on the weekend, you can't be an evil drug lord and have a beautiful home in the spirit world. You can be an evil drug lord on Earth and have a beautiful home on Earth, if you're living on earth but once you pass in the spirit world that's not possible anymore there's a there's a restriction placed on it in that there's a law in place as soon as you pass in the spirit world and that's the law of what you sow you will reap so in other words from that moment on of passing you are starting to reap the disadvantages i suppose you could say of your own condition and and if you if you spend a lot of your life you know acting upon evil impulses or impulses that are out of harmony with love then what will eventuate is that when you pass into the spirit world you will not be able to manufacture a lovely environment and at the same time harbor those evil evil impulses you will either have to let go of the evil impulses or you will attract an environment that matches your impulses and that's the basic principle of that's a basic change that occurs once you've passed and a lot of people in the spirit world uh, um, are, are aware of that but there's no very few people on earth are aware of that and that's why in the Bible I gave this illustration of that when I talked about the illustration of the rich man and Lazarus in, in the Bible so so I was trying to illustrate the condition you know that the rich man had he was treating the poor person badly and he had a you know he had a lovely house and lovely food and everything and he'd just throw the scraps to to the poor person but when they passed into the spirit world because of his attitude towards the poor person he passed into a dark location and a, and a location where he couldn't have those kind of things he had beforehand and I was trying to illustrate the fact that when you pass there is a, this change this single biggest change that occurs to you and that is you don't actually change physically very much and you don't change in terms of your impulses and your desires very much but but now the location that you attract to live is a match to your true soul nature you know your true character and that was something I was constantly trying to illustrate in the first century and there are actual uh, indications of that in the Bible. There are some quotes in the Bible that fairly closely match some of the illustrations I gave. Because the Bible was written 200 years after the crucifixion. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the earliest books were around about 100 years. They've dated them back to, but, but you know, unfortunately, 
because copying had already occurred, already there was a distortion of, you know, the original writings that were written by the actual people involved. And, and then, of course, as politics got hold of the writings, they then wanted to modify the writings to suit their political persuasions and so forth. And, and then some people who were violent when it got hold of the writings. And, and before you know it, by the third century, um, what was taught got fairly severely distorted and what was written got fairly severely distorted. So while my friend Matthew did write a book called Matthew, it didn't originally look at much like the current book looks. So that's the trouble with what you know with the Bible itself at this point. It's quite a modified book in comparison to the original manuscript, you know, the original writings of the original writers. Yeah. So yeah, it's been a and and you know we could observe all of these things happening from the spirit world, but it's very hard to influence people who have agendas uh, not to change the material that was written. You know, and as you as you've said before, that people will find what you say quite well they find it provocative I guess it mm. will offend it, it can be quite offensive to lots of people well in the first century what I said was often offensive to a lot of people that's why I got crucified in the end and all I'm trying to do is say the truth what, what I've discovered no, to be the truth of the universe to people but of course yeah. people have a whole set of ideas they have a whole set of what, what would you call it um, sort of like preconceptions about what life should be but also they have a whole lot of personal and political agendas and financial agendas that that you know a lot of my teachings will confront and my teachings in the first century confronted those in a, in a large way and of course from the time I started you know from the time I became at one with God when I was baptized by John to the time that uh, I died it was only a short period of three and a half years because the agendas were so big and and they saw me as attacking all of these areas of life and so as a result of that um, they viewed me as a apostate to their faith and a, and a trouble to their politi politi political regi regime and uh, and also a uh, destroyer of their religion and as a result of that I was I was murdered basically. But on this point of people becoming offended I I have to say, frankly, I don't really understand. I would understand people becoming offended if we were being very judgmental of others, if we were being derogatory of others, if we were trying to harm others in some way. I think I could understand people taking offence, perhaps, or feeling upset. I, under I suppose I understand technically why people get offended, because they're quite invested in their beliefs and they see that what we're presenting perhaps challenges their beliefs or makes them question their beliefs but for me I don't feel offended when someone says you're not Jesus and Mary Magdalene I, 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 to me that's not offensive if somebody calls me very vicious things which has happened uh, I at times feel like a little upset or hurt and I definitely have in the past but when someone just says God's not real, you're not Jesus and Mary Magdalene. I don't actually become offended. So a lot of people talk about Christians getting offended, but I don't really understand why we're offensive. Unless and it's ironic given the fact that the Bible actually says the taking of offence lies in the bosom of the stupid one, and that's a proverb. <laughs> so I find it ironic that uh, people are so worried about giving offence, particularly towards religious people, but their own Bible says they shouldn't be taking offence in the first place. 
and it's sort of like like I said you know if we were if we were being nasty people okay but we were simply living our life um, in a way that we believe is really well that is very moral um, and we're presenting our experience not in a way to attack others we're not forcing it upon others so you know everything we do we only speak on invitation we're talking to you right now because you asked for us to speak with you we the only time we're ever on tv we never seek those kinds of things people ask us mm. and we give seminars that we don't even advertise we just put a notice on our website or our blog and that's the only way people can find out so we're really not aggressive people and <laughs> for people to get offended by us i do feel a little bit mystified i understand as i said technically because they're very emotionally perhaps attached to their beliefs and they want yeah i guess because you're, you're questioning <clears throat> you're questioning everything everything yeah everything yeah. Yeah. yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. but i suppose i mean i've been through the process of questioning everything i believed in and i didn't didn't get all upset about didn't it didn't take offense with someone else about that you know I think taking offence is often driven by a desire to hold on to specific beliefs, whether you really believe in them or not. There's usually often other motivations that cause a person to have a, take offence at something that's said. And yeah. I feel that if we all had a, you know, like the Beatles song, live and let live, <laughs> or live and let die, what are you going to do? And I think that for the majority of people, they do have this sort of underlying attitude, live and let die. In other words, anybody who doesn't agree with my opinion should be killed. And there's that, that, that is very prevalent historically in religious faiths. If you look at the, the history of religious faiths, even you know the history that I've observed, which is the last 2,000 years, you see this terrible attitude that when a person picks up a religious faith, they then feel justified and they feel that God justifies them killing another person of a different religious faith and obviously that is really out of harmony with love and it's also out of harmony with God so and, and, of, and a flaw in their own religious faith but uh, unfortunately we see many religious faiths taking that particular road and that's an indication that the religious faith is, is in itself a damaging faith to humanity mm -hmm. so there, there are many faiths that need to be modified in such a way as to bring them into more harmony with love. Because if I've got an attitude that I have the right to kill you just because you believe something different than I believe, then oh. I am way out of harmony with love on a lot of levels. And, even uh, if I have the belief that I can attack you for believing something. Or even get angry with you. You, you know, that I'm out of harmony with love. And I'm often amazed by many Christians who attack us because in Matthew 5, in the Bible, for example, it says that any person who is angry with another person, according to Jesus' words, any person who's angry with another person is liable to the fiery Gehenna. Right? It says that in the book of Matthew, chapter 5. So that means that any person who's angry with me <laughs> is liable to fiery Gehenna under their own belief systems. Now, of course, I don't agree with that, but, but that's what the Bible does say. And then in the same book of the Bible, in Matthew 5, it says that Jesus said, and it is something I did say, and that is to love your enemy. Now, if, if, if with your friends you always get angry with them, I'd suggest that you wouldn't keep your friends very long, right? So obviously a person you love, you're not going to get angry with all the time. And, uh, and so if you are angry with somebody all the time, that's an indication that you're not loving them, that you're out of harmony with that verse. And just these two verses in, from the so-called Sermon on the, Mount, on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 
would prohibit most Christians from doing what they're currently doing with us in terms of attack, the way they attack us and so forth. Because we often receive, like I had one lady on uh, on Irish talkback say to me that I, she was a Christian, she said she was a Christian, she told me I needed a bullet in my brain. <laughs> like, if that's not uh, a desire for my death, I don't know what is. <laughs> and I would suggest to her, and I did suggest to her, that that was out of harmony with love and out of harmony with her own teachings, in fact, the teachings that she proclaimed to support. And I feel that that's where um, we see a lot of hypocrisy in religion, unfortunately. And one of the reasons why is because most religions have been created by people on earth to suppress and control other people on earth, and not to come to know God or come to have a relationship with God in the way God defines. And that's the big difference between what I taught in the first century and everything else that I observed from that point onwards. Yeah. Do you think that people listen to you more or less because you're saying that you were Jesus? Definitely think- less. Less by far. By a long shot. I've had, uh, you know, like I've had a whole audience rock up. This was early days when I was very shy about saying I was Jesus. I had a whole audience rock up. And as soon as I would talk for three hours and they'd all be fascinated. Questions, questions, this, questions, that. There'd be people just, and they wanted me to keep talking. And one one talk I did was nearly seven hours long, right? (laughs) Where people just questioning, questioning, questioning. And then they asked me, well, how do you know all of this? Now, at that point, I had to come clean and say, well, because uh, it's been my personal experience. And they said, what do you mean it's been your personal What are you saying? You know? And I said, well, I've lived a life in the spirit world for 2,000 years, and, and, and so I've observed all of these things. That's how I can speak to, to you about them. And then they go, well, what are you saying by that? Who are you then? <laughs> like, and then I say, well, you know, I'm Jesus. And I've had like a third or half of the audience just in that, in that moment. They've been engaged for seven hours before then. And in that moment, they get up and walk out. And I never see them again, just from that one statement. So now we're much more upfront about that, obviously, because it seems. So I feel we need to let them get up and walk out right at the beginning, (laughs) (laughs) and that way I'm left with people who are maybe a bit more (laughs) open-minded. Because you've written, um, "I am Jesus." Get over it. (laughs) Yes. Once. 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 In a thousand hours of videos, yes. (laughs) But is that kind of is that kind of how you feel? The way that it's more about people need to listen to more about. Cause it, uh, would you call them teachings or not? I see them as God's truths mm. that I have personally discovered and all I'm doing is sharing them with others. It's not, I don't see them as my truths. They're not, I don't, they don't belong to me. They belong to God. They are what God's shared with me through my relationship with God. So I don't see them as my truths. I'd call them teachings in the sense that um, you know, they are concepts and ideas, but they are actually, in my, from my experience, the truth. And not everything I share with people is the truth. And I, I usually clearly delineate between the two. This is my opinion, and this is the truth. Do you know what I mean? And I'm allowed to have an opinion, but often my opinions are not true. <laughs> Does that make sense? But when it comes to God's truth, then I share it as, it as it is, and that is that it's God's truth. Now, I feel for the majority of people 
they won't see those things as God's truth. So it, to them, it's just an opinion or a thought or a teaching. Or so, so sure, I often refer to them as teachings. I believe that um, if a person experiments in the in with the experiments that uh, I can, you know, that we've talked about how to show them what to do, they will eventually come to the same conclusion that these particular things are God's truth. And there's many millions of people in the spirit world that have done that, but there's very few people on earth that have done it. That all being said, I I sort of feel like, um, in terms of my own identity, it's not really important. I don't see myself as any more important than you. You are you have the same worth as I do to God. You have the same the ability to receive the same amount of love that I have to you know from God. You have the same ability to discover truth that I have. So I don't see myself as any different to yourself. Perhaps except in one area, and that is. I have a passion to discover the truth about the universe and God and my whole life has been dedicated towards that and I'm just I love it like it's just my whole life that's how I that's how I live my life I'm I'm just absolutely passionate about discovering the truth about God and God's universe and how everything fits together and because of that I've discovered a lot of truths and in many cases I've discovered more truths than the majority of other people as a result of having that passion but anybody can have that passion. Anybody can learn the same things that I've learned. So I don't see myself as special or unique in that way. Um, but I am the first person that's learnt many things. Just like, you know, the, there were first people who knew how the laws of aerodynamics worked. You know, that they discovered in the beginning of last century, in the 20th century. Um, I sort of see myself like a scientist, but not a scientist about the physical universe but rather a science that's about God and, and, and God's universal system and that's how I sort of see myself but I don't see myself as unique in that regard and we both have a strong feeling that everybody who's ever been created and everybody who will ever live on this planet has a unique personality and capacity to discover what is their passion and once they do that and share that with others, they also will become known for that particular thing that they've learned how to share and discover. And so we sort of see every single person is exactly equal in God's eyes. We don't receive an equal amount of love, though, because the reception of love is dependent on how much we would like to receive it. And different people have a different desire to receive it. And so therefore they receive more than others. And that, that's unfortunately just a fact of our desire. When I say unfortunately, it's, fortunate. it's actually yeah. fortunate because the, the reality is that's how God created us, to have free will. We were allowed to yeah. exercise our desire how we wish. And it actually helps us understand our will. It's like if, if, I, if I'm in a relationship with AJ and um, he loves me but I don't actually desire that love, I don't get to feel it. It's the same principle Mary as God. Mary reject it, you know, like... Oh, and my, if my heart's not open, I don't actually... I might know intellectually, but I don't actually feel that feeling of receiving his love, of knowing his love for me. And many people operate in their relationships with their hearts closed. They, they know or they rely on the, the, the person telling them that they love them. But it's a very different experience to use your will to actually receive a gift. And, and feel it. And feel it. Mm. And part of the reason we're here is to to understand ourselves and part of doing that is to 
I mean all of us now all of us are here to to become aware and aware that we have our own will that we can use to create things and we are (laughs) we're always creating things with our will Mm -hmm. and to understand that we can have this desire to receive a gift and use our will to receive to open ourselves to receive love from God or love from another person that's a really valuable lesson and I think it's a beautiful system that God's created that we can understand how to use our will we can learn that and develop that yeah I think pretty much every decade that's gone by there has been somebody that said hello I'm Jesus yeah definitely um I said that would happen. <laughs> what makes you different? Well, if you look at and examine what they teach, it's very, very different to myself. Like, obviously, uh, I, I would. There, there is a right at the moment uh, around the world. There are many people claiming to be me. There's a guy in uh, in, in, in Central America. There's a guy in Brazil. Uh, there's a guy in Russia. There's many people, and there's even in Australia, I've had three people ring me up claiming to be me. <laughs> so that was interesting. Um, but in each case, they don't have the extensive knowledge that I have, and they also don't display much love in their day-to-day activities or day-to-day life. And if I could add there, they, many of them seem to lack the ability to rationally explain a point. And I don't mean that condescendingly. I mean there's, there is, like... Different ones that I've seen, um, they seem to um, use a lot of uh, vague kind Bible of references, inferences, and re- references. And uh, I have not been able to pin down exactly what they're trying to teach the world, except that they're Jesus, and everyone should listen, like worship them or listen to them. And I think AJ and many is of them very unique. Want to be worshipped. They yes, the they guy want to be in Brazil, worshipped. He just sits on his throne. Actually, he has with a throne a with a crown, crown on his head, and he sits there, and people come and kiss his hand, and he wants to be worshipped. So I think AJ is <laughs> very unique in that he's a very rational guy, and as you found doing an interview, he he has a lot of knowledge, and sometimes you know he's referring to things that perhaps you don't understand the context of what he means, and but then you can ask him, and he'll explain that as well. Like mm. I feel that also he's very humble, and that he's confident about what he knows, but he certainly doesn't expect. In fact, I've seen you find it quite almost yucky and repulsive if people try to sort of put you on a pedestal yeah I run a hundred miles away from that or be in any way worshipful of you because we both have a very strong feeling that each of us is equal uh, in terms of our value it's it's not right for somebody to value me more than they value themselves for example Yeah. so you know I feel a great deal of um, you know I feel a great deal of feeling of wanting to step back from them when they have that kind of emotion projected at me which is rare nowadays but mm. most of the time I get the opposite emotion that I am stupid and, and an idiot <laughs> and uh, and why would anybody want to listen to me at all <laughs> yeah. and also there's the issue of a lot of these people wish to create communities that are separate 
from the rest of society mm. and we very much have the feeling that the each of us should interact with society mm. and we have the opportunity to love everyone and in fact if we're truly developed in love we will love everyone regardless of what they believe or how they treat us and so mm. the idea of needing to separate ourselves from society in order to create some kind of utopia or grow spiritually is actually the opposite of what we're teaching mm. and most people uh, who claim to be Jesus seem to wish to create communities, segregation from society. I, I can't say that all of them do, but I know that a great many of them have. And and a lot of in a lot of cases that's ended up really badly for people. Yeah. So in some ways I understand why people have problems fears. with and if you look at a lot of fears. the people who have who have claimed to be Jesus in the past, they have been violent or sexually deviant. And as a result, you know, they've actually perpetrated potential violence. And, and, and in some cases now, there's even ones who are claiming to be Jesus who have an entourage of security men, you know, and so forth. So, you know, this is a, an attitude where it's obvious that they, they cannot be me. I never had an entourage of security people in the first century and have no intention of doing such a thing now, no matter what happens in the end. And... The, I, I feel quite strongly that if you examine all of these particular things, you'll see quite clearly who, which person has the character and nature and knowledge that uh, you know of the first century Jesus, um, in comparison with the others who claim to be such. I've spent a whole life of having people claim to be me throughout my two thousand years of life. In the spirit world, there are there are many tens of thousands of spirits who claim to be me. Um, so, like, I'm fairly used to having people claiming to be me all the time. There's not much I can do about their claims except to say that they're false, that's all. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm interested in... Because you have this this Waco thing that happened, yeah. which is a terrible disaster. Yeah. And you can analyze that from lots of different perspectives you can. actually there's a lot there are of roles, conspiracy theorists about there are roles to play yeah there are lots of different things mm. um, but I'm going to ask a question I don't really want to ask a question let's okay. go. Um, I'm going to, let's, let's go and uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so we've been said to be worse than Waco is that what you want to talk yeah. about yeah. yeah so to be yeah to be compared to something which is a, a complete travesty and a, um, a horrible thing that happened, um, the Waco disaster. To be compared to that, how, you know, what, for some, why would they do that and how does that make you feel? Well, the why is very different to how it makes me feel. And if I answer how it makes me feel, because that's pretty simple, <laughs> I, I, it doesn't worry me at all, actually, because I know that we're not anywhere, nothing like that. I know I'm never going to encourage violence or, 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 or in fact, defend violence. Or have and, a compound. Or have a compound. Or be guiding people in any way to have a compound that's separate from society or any of those kinds of things. Or own a gun. Or own a gun, <laughs> even. <laughs> um, so, you know, the comparison is ludicrous uh, from my perspective and doesn't warrant my, you know... I, I, it, it really doesn't warrant any emotion from me and I think it's quite funny in a lot of ways and uh, yeah it's quite funny because there is this underlying drive in the particularly in the Australian media to portray it that way and you've got to question why 
given the fact that the very people who portrayed it that way stayed in our home for two days, they know I don't own any guns, they know I don't own, you know, there's no people who stay with us, they know that we live in a one-bedroom house um, without, you know, without any fences, fences or compound gates or, or gates or... They know that I promote love in, in all of my teachings. And pacifism. And pacifism yeah. and not going to war and not defending yourself and under, all those. So they know all that because they stayed with me for two days and had many questions just like you've had many questions yourself. And yet they still claim these things. And the reason why they claim it is because if they say there's this nice fellow who lives up in Queensland who's claiming to be Jesus but actually we went along and, and visited him and he sounds pretty reasonable actually and he sounds a pretty nice guy and he's not going to hurt you at all then you wouldn't get too many listeners <laughs> and you wouldn't get too many viewers who would switch on out of fear and I feel a lot of the media today is driven by the desire to make the public afraid because if you can make the public afraid then lots of people will tune in because there's a lot of fear in most people in the you know most members of the public and they tune in and they believe everything they hear or many times they they suspect that it might be true and this is just the manipulation of the population through fear that's all it is now in the past there have been people who have claimed to be Jesus who have done these things you know, there have been people who have been sexually deviant who have claimed to be Jesus. There's been people who have been violent who have claimed to be Jesus and so forth. And so they then can play on these particular historical events and then put that onto the next person who claims to be Jesus. Now, at some point in our future, there's going to be one person who claims to be Jesus who's actually Jesus. And, uh, and I suggest to people that... Uh, so sooner or later, by, by the fruitage of the person, by what the person does, by the kind of ways they act, you will know who is the real one in the long term. And you won't know until then. That's the reality. So no amount of proving from some kind of, you know, miracles or whatever is ever going to prove anything aside from the person can do some miracles. And it doesn't prove anything else. It doesn't prove that they're a person from 2,000 years ago. So I see a lot of flaws in the logic of people. Like just, if I could do miracles today, it doesn't prove that I'm Jesus from 2,000 years ago. It just proves that I'm a person who can do miracles today. That's all it proves. It doesn't prove anything else. It doesn't. It, the, the only way that I can actually prove that uh, I am the person from 2,000 years ago is to get a heap of people who know me from 2,000 years ago to come to Earth, which eventually might happen, to come to Earth and say, I know him from 2,000 years ago. That's the really only, only way that it can be proven to anybody's satisfaction, as far as I can see, from a logical perspective. Every other way that people claim it can be proven doesn't actually prove whether I'm Jesus or not. And I see constantly this flaw, these logic, logical flaws in the reasoning ability of people. So they get manipulated through fear into not being able to reason logically. And this is what I see as a primary problem with the planet, with all sorts of truths that we could to get uh, given to us through this process of discovery is that we f we are flawed with the way in which we use our logic and the flaw comes from the unhealed emotional experience so in other words if a person in the past claimed to be Jesus and he got some guns and got together some people in a compound and eventually had a shootout um, with, uh, and, and by the way all of this isn't necessarily proven <laughs> um, 
but let's say it did actually happen, and then we can then say, well, the next person who claims to be Jesus is going to do the same thing. And I don't think that's a very logical extension either. How can you say that? It's the next person is an individual in his own right, um, and, and even if he's claiming to be Jesus falsely, he may not do the same thing. He might not get a gun and, and create a compound and do all the other things that the other person he claimed to be such would do. So I see that there's this constant flaw of logic in, in most of the reasoning ability of people. And I feel the media often plays upon the fear in people to influence the flaw in logic without people seeing, well, hang on a sec, that doesn't make any sense. And I feel that if people had some more logical reasonability that wasn't influenced by history and therefore influenced by their own fear then they would be able to assess much more carefully and clearly any event in human history rather than just, um, you know, thinking that it's going to be the same as the last time. Yeah, yeah some, some people um, donated some funds to us to buy a karaoke system so that we could actually include karaoke at some of our seminars, which has been really good. And what we, what we do is we... Um, sometimes have a seminar for a couple of hours and then and then we actually do some karaoke and and different people get up but there's no drinking and there's no you know so there's they're not all like relaxed to do it so it's really they're really uptight when they get up there and everything generally a lot of we're often teaching people to rather than live in fear challenge their fears so it's kind of a very practical way uh, way of challenging a fear of you know, most what is that? Most people fear public speaking more than they do death. Or, you know, public singing is even yeah, like worse. higher, perhaps. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's great, and it's lovely to see people embrace it. Like even if they are technically like such as myself, perhaps not shining. But <laughs> but but in a, when you come to Australia, we'll we'll probably myself and Fabio, who's a friend of mine, who are used to doing it, we'll probably get up and do it for a, for an hour or so after one of the sessions on. Saturday probably while you're there because uh, it, we find that if we if we do it it sort of just um, has a tendency to relax everybody as well and just have fun and have a bit of fun as well and people get up and have a dance and everything as well <laughs> it's fun so when we when we uh, come to Australia mm. in about three weeks time mm. we shouldn't expect sort of large walls or gates or things no, like no, that no 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 we haven't got any protect and because when there was I don't know, I saw that you were buying up land, is that... Um... <laughs> no. <laughs> well, it's funny, because we had the Australian tax office, Taxation Office contact us and said, um, we want to do an audit of you. And we go, oh yeah, no worries, we'll do an audit, that's fine. Um, what do you want to know? Well, we want to know all the properties you own. I say, but you already know all the properties we own. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, no, but, you know, according to the media, you own this and you own that, and according to these people that have sent in letters to them, we own this and that and whatever. And I'm going, no, we don't own any of those things. And they said, well, how can you prove that you don't own them? I go, that's interesting thought. I don't know how to prove that I don't own something. I can prove that I do. <laughs> but in terms of proving that I don't, that might be a bit more difficult. And a lot of times, uh, the properties they thought we owned, we didn't even know the person who owns them. <laughs> so, so proving that we don't own them might be difficult. It would be like getting a... We'd have, in Australia, there is a way that you can actually get a title and you know, prove that you don't own. But, so in the end, we had to write a whole heap of replies about all the properties we don't own. We only own one property that uh, we currently live in. That's 40 acres that I bought 
before before I met Mary and before we received any donations, how you yeah. purchased that? I purchased it from my own money that I got from running my business, my computer businesses and development businesses that I had at the time, and uh, that's the only property that we actually own, and it's not worth very much from a Queensland standards. And, uh, but uh, we do hope that at some point in the future we will have enough funds to have a caretaker on the property and we've actually started looking at trying to get um, enough funds together to build a caretaker's residence on the property that we're borrowing some funds to do. That's um, because we travel so much we travel and so we have much. 40 acres that needs... Um, We'd like to look after it environmentally, and so. And last year we were away for nine months, and you can imagine, forty acres gets a bit messy after nine months of nobody looking after it. And this year we'll probably be away for another six or seven months, and so we need some we need someone to keep an eye on it for us. So you're not Uh, creating a centre, then? No, we did intend to create. um, Oh. It's not so much we intend. We've found people that... There are many people that we know, obviously, and many of those people own different properties, and many of them would like to put into practice the principles we teach on their property. And so we do give advice to some of those people who who ask for it. And there are some of those people who want it to become a centre. So nearby us, you'll meet a couple who um, have have... They've gotten together with four other groups of people, and they've bought a property, and they want to create a centre that sort of demonstrates for learning, learning, that demonstrates the principles of divine truth in personal lives. But we're not, we don't own it. They own it, and all they do occasionally, and it's very occasionally at this point, it's probably once a month they ask us for some advice. Um, And and to clarify, it's it's a property. It's not a commune or a compound either. It's just a property that they live on, and their main focus at this point is environmentally. They want to restore. Um, the land to more of a pristine condition that's been damaged by livestock and grazing and they want to regenerate the land and mm. reintroduce native plants and all of these things that, and there's a certain way of doing that in harmony with God's love mm. and so that's what we talk to them about. Mm. Yeah. And they're pretty passionate about it, it's one yeah. of their personal passions and we've met another family who live in New South Wales which is 800 kilometres from us who have the same desire for their property and so we occasionally visit them, probably once every two months or so. We visit them, and they, are, you know, we talk about, we give advice about what they, you know, different areas they could choose to do, but we don't tell them what to do in terms of they have to do this, otherwise we can't be their friends and all that kind of stuff. That's not not what happens. Um, and we, we, but we do enjoy visiting them, you know, because we can feel their passion for it. You know, they, they have a strong desire. To, to change, in the second family's case, they've got a, a sheep farming, a sheep station, and they want to turn it into something that's more harmonious with what they want to do for their future. And so it's just really enjoyable going down there and helping them go through that process. So we basically just provide advice to those people who own those properties. But we don't generally do it to everyone who asks because we find that uh, if we did, we wouldn't have enough time to do what is our core desire which is just to share God's truth with others and so our core desire is always going to be that you know always going to be just to go to people who want to know more about God's truth and and just share it with them and what they do with that truth is up to them but yeah so all of the properties that we so-called own we don't own and uh, yeah there's so many media things that have been said about and it's quite funny really a lot of them have been said, unfortunately, 
um, in such a way that the general public believes them. But it's it's sad in a way that there's no... And, you know, if, if we were financially wealthy, we could consider perhaps suing the media for their misrepresentations of us. But in the end, that wouldn't be loving towards the media either. You know, it's not loving to sue somebody just because they've told a lie about you. In time, I feel any lie about us will come out and, and be exposed. And the people who did it will obviously, you know, they'll have their own personal reputations ruined through the process. And, uh, and that, that is probably how things should be, I feel, in the sense of not the ruining of their reputation, but the fact that lies will always at some point in the future generally be exposed. It's pretty hard, even for a president, <laughs> to tell a lie and not get found out at some point in the future. Isn't that not true? <laughs> that is very true. <laughs> yeah. yeah, truth has a way of working its way into people's lives, even when they resist it. And, and I feel that we have such a transparent kind of life anyway. Yeah. A lot of our life and our history, uh, what we're going through right now, we publicise it all through the process of our teaching others we're very open to being asked anything in a public setting and especially I haven't always been open to that (laughs) (laughs) but I'm becoming far more open to it you're very open to it and and I mean as you find asking us questions I don't think we put up resistance to to any area so I feel like anyone who's sincerely interested in the truth about us would find it very easily it's just that um, some people feel very challenged or they're afraid or, you know, they have their own reasons for not really wanting to, to look at what the truth is about us. And well, there's a lot of preconceptions, isn't there? Yeah, that, that so, preconceptions that trigger their fears and then they don't want to yeah. look any further. So if the average Christian, a preconception would be that Jesus is God. So the, the preconception is if I'm saying that I'm Jesus, that, that means I'm saying that I'm God. And of course, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying completely the opposite to that, in fact, that there is a God and I am just God's child, just as everyone else is God's child, which is exactly what I said in the first century, but which, which was distorted. But because of the preconception of the faith, there's this presumption that then occurs in the mind. So all they hear is some guy in Australia is, you know, calling himself Jesus. And then they go, so he's claiming to be God? How dare he claim to be God? How dare he claim to be my saviour? And and all these other emotions get triggered as a result. And I'm not claiming to be any of those things that they are assuming I'm claiming. But, of course, their assumptions are based upon their belief systems, and I understand that. I understand that they assume different things based on belief systems, but that doesn't make the belief systems correct, and it also doesn't make their assumption about me correct. But largely we're okay with them having their assumptions. Mm. Like we don't feel that they must know the truth about us. No. I feel that they're allowed to feel whatever they want. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you're saying that you're, <clears throat> you're the son of God. I'm sorry, let me do that again because nobody wants to start with a cough. Today, really. <laughs> <clears throat> you're the son of God as much as everybody else is. Well, there's two aspects to being a son of God. There's firstly the created son or daughter of God. Now, all of us, all of humanity, are the created son or daughter of God. So in that regard, you and I are identical in that regard. I have, I have been created by God as a child of God, just as you have, and I am one half of one soul, Mary being my other half. And so we are 
the child of God collectively as well. Now, we are both like that. Now, there was another way in which I talked about, particularly in the first century, but all the way through my life in the spirit world as well, I've talked about how we can become a son of God in a different sense. And the sense is how we can become at one with God in love and therefore become transformed into this sort of being that's now at one with God as well as being a son of God. And I called that being a son of God, if you like, or God's son. Or being born again. Being born again into this conditional relationship that where God and yourself are at one on the way in which you demonstrate love. So you still have your unique individual personality. You're not overcome by God in any way. God, in fact, wants your personality and individuality to grow. That's what, why God created you. But God would like, but doesn't demand, that you become at one with God in the way in which you express love. And to do that, you have to receive some of God's love. And once you've received enough of God's love to become at one with God, then at that point in time you can be truly said to be God's son in every aspect. Not only God's son as a created child, but God's son also as a person who desired to be the child of God, if that makes sense. In other words, you've now accepted that you're a child of God and you now also want to you know, have this relationship with your heavenly parent. And uh, I called that being God's son as well. So I've referred to God's ch- being God's child in two different ways. So I often likened myself in the first century to the son. I called myself the son of man or the son of woman. The way in which in the first century we, we actually traced lineage was through the woman because um, it was hard to trace a lineage through a man. Of course, you, a man didn't give birth to you. And so it was only a presumption as who your father was, but your mother was pretty much firmly fixed. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I often refer to myself as the son of man or the son of, son of a woman. And every single individual who's ever entered this earth has been a son of man and woman. And, but in terms of becoming a son of God, we are created at our soul condition, not our bodies, but our soul condition is created as a child the of actual. God. And then Uh, we have the ability to accept the sonship, if you like, to accept the role of our God being our parent. And that is a process that we can choose to go through if we want to. And then we become a son or a daughter of God in two ways. The first way, which was always there, and the second way, which was by choice. Just to clarify, you're not saying that you're the only person who's ever become a son of God in the second way, are you? I'm the only person on earth that has, while on earth. But there are literally millions and millions of people who, since they've passed into the spirit world, have become sons and daughters of God in the same way that I have been. And there there will be, we hope, many millions of people on earth in this visit of time who will become sons and daughters of God through the same process. And, uh, and that way people will see that actually they will retain their individuality, they will retain their personality, but they will just have this way of expressing love that is God's way of expressing love, this unique, beautiful way that God has of expressing love to all of God's creations. And, uh, and so, yeah, in the end, what we're hopeful of, it, of seeing, but again, it's a hope and not an expectation, we're hopeful that people will come to want that desire that relationship that I had in the first century with God while I was on earth and that many millions of people currently have in the spirit world with God 
and that they see that it's possible to have that relationship with God on earth. And once that happens, then you'll see a lot of changes occur towards love on the planet. One of the sad things about the first century experience was that um, Jesus got set apart. You got set apart as as someone unique, as someone who it was only him who could have this special relationship with God. Mm. When in fact, everything that you taught and everything that I attempted to teach after he passed was to say, no, we can all have this relationship with God and God loves us equally and desires this really beautiful relationship that has all these potentials that my husband just demonstrated. You too can do that. Mm. Um, But sadly, through history, that message was completely lost and um, people now worship Jesus as God and and feel actually that they're inherently sinners that, and that they can never lose that. And that's very sad, I feel. Because it... And there's a subsequent other beliefs as well, which are also damaged, which is like, if I don't embrace God while I'm on earth and I pass in the spirit world, then I'm condemned forever. You know, that's a terrible belief that has such a terrible effect on people's future in the spirit world. Mm-hmm. Because the reality is that God gives us opportunities to change in every moment of our life and existence. Whether we're here on earth or after we've passed from the earth into the spirit world, we still have opportunities to change. We still have opportunities to become more loving. And so there's a lot of teachings on earth that are sort of anti the truth, if you like, uh, anti the truth about God and anti the truth about our future. And many people after they pass, for a, you know, they might pass and then for the next 10, 15, 20 years still believe their old teachings. And, but after a while, they start giving up different old teachings because they realize, oh, that wasn't true and that wasn't true and that wasn't true. And they, they start to see what's really going on. And as a result of that, they start changing their belief systems to, to be more in line with what the universe is demonstrating to them scientifically. And, uh, and I'm saying to people, well, no, you can do that on earth. You could start assimilating a lot of these understandings and beliefs that are, that are true and, and real um, while you're on earth rather than waiting until you actually see with your own eyes that such a thing is going to happen to you. Yeah, and these truths that we're attempting to share with people, they actually they foster hope don't they that the real truth about god actually fosters hope and it's testable you know you can do experiments and gain more knowledge and experience which gives you faith and hope and all of these wonderful qualities that make life really fun and enjoyable whereas a lot of um, christian teachings or other teachings on the planet actually foster hopelessness i mean to be taught that you're you're inherently a sinner and you're always going to make mistakes that will lead to pain and you've just got to accept it that's pretty hopeless to me that feels very depressing uh, and it's not actually the way that that's in itself <laughs> a, a sign that it's not really what God has created everything God's created leads us towards growth and more hope we might have to pass through periods of feeling sad or hopeless mm. but uh, if we're willing to experience that and come out the other side we, we, ha- we receive more truth which gives us more hope and unfortunately a lot of belief systems from the planet and particularly in the Christian faith surrounding my own life have been formulated because of hopelessness and then wanting somebody to rescue you from your hopelessness and it's sort of like this idea or concept that Jesus is the saviour of our sin, you know, saviour of us from our own sin is, a, is really a very flawed concept from God's perspective in a lot of ways because God makes us all personally and individually responsible 
for everything that we do. And all of God's laws are constructed to do such a thing, to help us to become self-actualized, realized, self-free will, think, free thinking human beings. And the beauty of what God's done to do that uh, is marred by these concepts that you have to rely that somebody else will pay for what you did or somebody else is going to help you do what's good. And the reality is we all have a personal choice to do what's good. And if we choose to do what's not so good, then there will always be consequences. It's like if I decide to jump off a building that's too high, there's going to be a consequence. And this is the way it might hurt. And and if it's too high, really high building, then it might kill me. And there are always physical consequences to the breaking of law. And we need to just come to understand the laws that God has in place and how our whole future life and existence is, is built around them, in fact. Yeah, because every time we actually choose to live by the law, there's a consequence as well, and it's an awesome one. It's it a leads, reward, if you like. Yeah, well, yeah, it yeah. also leads to more freedom, more knowledge, more development. It's it's a gift every time we act in mm. harmony with law. A lot of times on the planet, we see acting in harmony with law as a restriction. You know, by man's law, is very. a lot of us feel it's restrictive to do the speed limit, and we'd like to speed. <laughs> Whereas in coming to understand God's laws truly and live by them it's like voluntarily voluntarily live by them them. we all have to live by them Mm. some of us rebel and that leads to pain but when we do it voluntarily we find that actually it leads to growth in love and when we grow in love there's actually more freedom and joy in our life Mm. it's it's a beautiful system that god's created it's just man has become so far removed by it and then have established a lot of spiritual belief systems that are very different to what the reality is and and the majority of people on the earth know that it doesn't fit reality and that's why there's a big upheaval in religious belief systems nowadays because they can see that hang on a sec you know this idea that you have that you can go off to war with somebody if they're of a different faith or a different belief than you that doesn't work very much for the peace of society you know that you, you know we can see that what's going on relationship wise and so we start questioning the spiritual aspects and then you know the people who want to hold on to their spiritual lives say you can't question it you can't question it this is god's word you can't question it how dare you question god you know and all this kind of thing and i would i would reason that firstly god, god gave us a brain <laughs> to actually question everything and god gave us free will to decide and god gave us the ability to use logic and reasoning facilities and and so any any faith that does not have logic in it is flawed from the outset. Any faith that doesn't have a scientific basis is flawed from the outset. But understand that there are many points of science that we don't currently understand, we haven't discovered. Uh, Because just like 100 years ago, there were many things that we now do that 100 years ago we wouldn't even conceived of doing, in fact. And so we must understand right now that there are many things we haven't discovered that we will discover in the future where science will prove certain things. And yeah. we can begin to do that, can't we, if we just engage experiments, mm. you know. But we should never just carry on if, if our experiments and our logic is telling us this isn't working. No, that, 
that's that's counterproductive and it's not the way to grow and it's not yeah. really how God's designed it. God's designed it that everything would be in harmony. Our intellectual reasoning, our heart, mm-hmm. our desires could all be in harmony if we use love as this standard. Mm-hmm. And if you look at uh, humankind today, we, we know that war doesn't work. You know, how many wars do we have to have before we realise that war doesn't work? Well, most of us already know it doesn't work and uh, it's time for us to work out a system that does. That, that's what we need to do at some point, work out something that does. And we've got clever people on this planet. You know, there's a lot of very, you know, well-developed intellects on this planet. We've got a way to figure out how to do that. It's quite easy to figure out how to do that. But it's going to involve us letting go of a lot of our pet hates and pet, you know, ideas and we're going to have to let go of some of our concepts about life and about religion and about politics and about war itself and about fear. violence and fear and all sorts of concepts we're going to have to let go in order to do that. And this is the same with most of the things that are happening on the earth today. We're going to have to let go of many things in order to accept the change. And I, I feel like all of us know that you know women should be equal to men. We all know that. Now, there's plenty of countries on the earth that are still fighting it, but, but we all know that that's the way it's meant to be. We all know that we're not meant to fight. Whenever you fight, it hurts. <laughs> you know that it hurts. If you do involved in physical violence, you know it hurts. <laughs> so whenever you fight, it hurts. So we know that fighting probably isn't the best way to solve our problems, right? We, we know so many things that we're still not engaging properly. Just even basic things about human rights, for example. We know these things. But when it comes to a country that has no resources, we just overlook that. Overlook that you know? And this is a, because of our lack of ethics. We need to develop ethics. We need to develop a loyalty to love. And, and that's immaterial, whether you're an atheist or a, or a Christian or a Muslim or, or you're Hindu or you're Buddhist or you don't have any religion at all, you're agnostic... It doesn't. It doesn't really matter what you know. What's your background and what your belief system is, unless we all collectively can learn to love each other and learn to ha- allow the other person to have a differing opinion to ourselves without becoming violent ourselves. Then we're going to continue with the world that we currently have. That's the fact. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Well. Okay. I'll see you in three weeks. Thank, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah.